Hi, this is Lou Rosenfeld, and you're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. Today's June 12, 2015, and I'm talking with Laura Klein. Uh, Laura, you may already know pretty well. She wrote a fantastic book for O'Reilly and Eric Reese's Lean series called UX for Lean Startups. And I liked her work so much that I convinced her to write a book for Rosenfeld Media, which at least is tentatively called Build Better Products. We'll talk about that in a moment. I wanted to talk with you today, Laura, because in recent conversations we've had, you were really animated by a concept that I had absolutely never heard of, which is called design for growth. What is this design for growth thing? So have, have you heard of have you heard of growth hacking and growth hackers? Yeah, I don't think I know enough about them. I have no firsthand experience. It'd be good to frame a little explanation a little more broadly what it's about. Sure, sure. Um, so I I ran into growth hacking, I guess, a few years ago. Sean Ellis came up with the term. Um, and I spoke at the, the Growth Hacker Conference, uh, wow, about a year and a half ago now. And um, I, I went in and they asked me to speak. And I said, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a growth hacker. I mean, I'm, I'm not... Growth hackers are, are really, they're, they're people who understand both marketing and engineering, generally, generally speaking. Um, sometimes they're people who are just really good at sort of online marketing. Um, and the whole idea is that there's this really fast iteration cycle of testing and trying new things and seeing what drives new growth and seeing what, you know, really makes products viral and really getting your, your user base, you know, to, to go up and to the right very quickly. Um, and they combine a lot of quantitative measurement, which I'm a fan of, as you may know if you've read the book. And um, they, you know, and a lot of sort of um, user psychology and trying to figure out, you know, well, and it, the, the sort of, the, the stereotype of the growth hacker is, you know, well, what if we put the button over here, you know, and, oh, look, we got a 30% increase in acquisition and, um and that's fine. <laughs> they do that. So, so they asked me to speak at the conference, and I said, I, I don't really know anything about growth hacking. And they said, well, so the thing is that it's really a lot easier to growth hack or to just grow a good product that people can actually use. So, you know, we'd, we'd like you to talk about the stuff that you talk about, which is, you know, understanding users. Um, and so uh, I did a talk called uh, The Three Reasons Your Users Don't Convert. And uh, in it, I gave you, I gave them ways to figure out why people are coming to your site and then, you know, not actually becoming users of it. Um, and just some basic research techniques for figuring that out. Because what I came to realize was that while I'm a big fan of the quantitative measurement, that the one thing that some growth hackers are missing, not all of them, I think the more enlightened ones get this, um, the one thing that some growth hackers are missing is this this real connection to the user, right? There's this real connection to to the user and understanding the user and generating better ideas for experiments by you know talking to people, by doing good design. And I also realized that designers often, I don't want to massively stereotype, but here goes, <laughs> designers will often really concentrate very much on designing a fabulous, usable, useful product Hooray, that's great. But they don't necessarily think about where are the people going to come from who are going to use my product? And how am I going to make sure that, you know, my user base really 
grows. I mean, and I think that, and I've certainly been guilty of this, I think a lot of us can end up designing a wonderful product that is deeply loved by a couple of dozen people. And that's not something that we want because, you know, we'd like to stay in business. So I'm trying to, um, so the, the design for growth, I'm going to teach a class in it, but the class is about teaching designers, specifically UX designers and product managers, what they need to know about growth and growth hacking, not turning them into growth hackers. I don't want them to necessarily go out and, you know, that I'm not going to turn everybody into, you know, marketing experts. I just want them to know enough about it so that they can start to think about where are my users coming from? How am I acquiring them? How do I really focus on, you know, my ideal customer? How do I, you know, track which channels are, are working best? You know, how do I convert people? And how do I and how do I think about getting them to invite their friends or to, to talk about my product? And building that into the whole core loop of the product. So, I mean, not not all products are going to be Facebook. Not everything needs to be social. I don't necessarily want to, you know, tell all of my friends about, you know, the new SaaS productivity app that, that I'm using. Um, it does, you know, I don't need to invite my friends to make that more fun. So what are some ways that we can grow different kinds of businesses? Yeah, where, where do those users come from so that we can actually have some and survive as a company? It's interesting. First of all, this is really fantastic that you're pushing into this direction. I mean, I think you're right. Just as we on the design side are often bitching and moaning about whatever group doesn't really understand or appreciate what we do, uh, you know, maybe some of the growth hackers aren't quite in tune with the value that we bring. And so the converse is often true. Um, and we often tend to forget that there's a broader context that our products live in. You know, by the way, some of the, the books that speak to this are Andy Young's uh, Mental Models and, and uh, Sherry Thero's work. I don't know if these are in line with what you're talking about, or are you looking at a different set of methods to get people at a different point? So the second one, the, the thinking about SEM and SEO, absolutely, very much so. Um, all of the designers who are talking about things like, you know, writing good copy and copy that converts and how copy is part of the user experience, absolutely that. The mental model, Indies, Indies Mental Models, which is fabulous, I actually kind of wish that growth hackers would read things like that as opposed to that teaching designers about growth hacking. I think it's sort of the opposite because the fact is, Anytime that you're thinking about, you know, how to fit your product into the user's life and how to, um, you know, basically you're looking at increasing retention. And as any good growth hacker will tell you, retention is a huge part of growth because you can acquire a whole lot of new users. And if they all leave immediately, you don't get any growth. You just spend a lot of money. So um, I think that, yeah, I don't think that a lot of this is going to be brand new to designers. Um, I think it is going to give them some of the terminology and some of the, I mean, some, frankly, jargon, um, but also giving them some new things to think about when they're doing the thing that they do so well, which is designing a great product. Um, it'll just also give them, some, you know, something to think about with, okay, well, you're not just going to design a great product. You're going to design a product that is going to be more likely to be shared by right. the users, right? And that's that's a little different. You can sort of you can design something that people love, but don't but you don't necessarily prioritize making it shareable, right? Because th that's not necessary. 
And, and I really want to think about, I want designers in this space because I don't want, I don't want growth hacking to turn into something that really is hacky. Like I don't want it to turn into, you know, growth at any cost and especially not growth at the cost of the user experience. I think that we can design great things that grow naturally if we all work together on it. Um, and what I was going to say is I, you know, you, you said that often we, we, we bitch and moan about people not, uh, <laughs> not respecting what we do. How often have you heard designers talk about, ugh, marketing, you know? <laughs> Like, sometimes UX designers, not not the biggest fans of having to deal with marketing because they really see it as a, at odds. And I'm seeing it as they're, they can be incredibly helpful and we can be incredibly helpful to them. Um, so I, anyway, I want to make, I want to make this growth thing not entirely marketing's problem anymore. I want to, I want it to be a joint effort. So what are the fundamentals here? Is it uh, uh, looking at personas differently? Is it jiggering field studies? Uh, is it something else? I think we start by getting designers to have a, a vocabulary around quantitative metrics. We have got to get comfortable with measuring. And mm -hmm. I still run into designers who are really uncomfortable with that concept and who are, you know, saying, oh, it can't be measured and, you know, design can't be measured and the wow factor can't be measured. Yes, it can. Um, we need to be, we need to understand what that means and we need to push to measure it well um, so that we're actually looking at positive impacts on the user experience when we're measuring. Um, but that's the first step is understanding understanding the user funnel, understanding the user life cycle. And uh, the other thing that it that it's really about is thinking about acquisition of new users as we are designing new features. Um, and yes, I mean, definitely asking slightly different questions in field studies or, or adding some questions. You know, one of one of my favorite ones to ask, which I don't I mean, I almost never hear UX designers ask is, uh, you know, where did you hear about this product? Because right. understanding who not just who our user is, but who their influencers are and where they make product decisions can make a big difference when you're designing features that are specifically designed to acquire new users. Um, so, you know, it's not always just about designing, a, a, you know, the same referral program that everybody that everybody has. It's being a little bit creative with figuring out, oh, you know, our, our users actually, yeah, they, they hang out on Snapchat or, or they get all of their info, they make all of their buying decisions from, you know, people on Twitter or, you know, they, they find all of their products on Pinterest. How can we take advantage of that? How can we share with them there how can we make that part of the the sort of natural the natural process of using the product interesting that you started your answer with coming up with a a common or shared vocabulary uh, the shared vocabulary needs to go a bit more broadly i mean the whole point of a shared vocabulary is to help people have conversations that are more productive it doesn't have to be a vocabulary that just that isn't just quantitative but really more about experience in a broader sense Yes, I think that's absolutely true. In this particular context, I'm trying to teach designers the side of it that I have found that many of them are lacking, which seems to be the quant side. 
Um, at some point, I would also love to work with you know marketers and sales folks and and growth hackers. And I, I've actually done some of that to try to teach them about the qualitative and and how they can improve their experiments by developing better hypotheses. Um, it's so funny. I was talking to this really young growth hacker, and and he was he was great, and he was really excited about growth hacking. And he was, he was oh, we're running all these experiments, and it's fantastic. And you know, we just we just come up with these ideas, and then we experiment, and then you know, we see which one wins, and then we go with that. And I'm like, you know, if you talk to a human being once in a while, more of your experiments would do better because you would have better ideas. And he, he wasn't quite there yet. He, he, hadn't, he hadn't grasped that yet. If you talk to the, the senior folks who have been doing this for a little bit longer, who, who sort of came up with the idea, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's all about, like, we, yes, we absolutely do qualitative. We absolutely understand what, what users think we you know they salespeople will often refer to the ideal customer um whereas you know ux designers will often refer to personas um and they're very similar you know they're not exactly the same but they're very similar and we can certainly have a you know a conversation like once we start realizing that these are very similar concepts we can have a conversation about that so it's interesting we we kind of need to have a holder of the Rosetta Stone within these organizations I mean someone needs to take on the the mantle of babblefish or, or translator. And, you know, it really does seem increasingly apparent that this has to be the product manager. Yeah. Yeah. And we're seeing more product, we're seeing a lot more growth product managers, at least out here. Um, you know, I know like LinkedIn and Twitter have had growth teams for years. Um, what was I just, re I was just reading and ask me anything uh, by the woman who is a, she is a product manager in charge of growth at BitTorrent. Um, it was really interesting, uh, and um, she was saying that they put growth and product in the same organization because they're really the same thing. And I, I actually like that. I like that growth is sort of a part of product, or you know that. And I've I've worked on teams where you know like the it was sort of divided that divided up that way, so that you know there was sort of growth in the context of the product, and there's always a product manager. We're starting to see designers on growth teams, which is good. It's just that at mm -hmm. some companies, we're starting to see these teams grow up that have these, these cross-functional teams, and it's like, okay, your job is to make our user base number go up into the right. You need to drive more of the right kind of user into our product, go. And there'll be a product manager who's in charge of, you know, coordinating everything and you know, looking at maybe, you know, they may be looking at some of the quant and they may be doing some of the qual, you know, the designers are, you know, helping to figure out what the right experiments to run are. Um, and the, you know, the, the engineers are, are very quickly building and making sure that everything can be tested. Um, it's, it's great. It's often like a little startup within larger companies typically. Yeah. And to bring it full circle, that's why I'm excited that you're talk, taking on this book. I mean, excited for the, the scope and the potential of the book. I don't really feel like there's a, a there there yet with product management. It's, it's not really the canon of, there's not really a canon of tools yet. It feels like it's really still quite nascent. There's not even a common way of, like, interviewing them. I mean, have you ever noticed this? That, you know, with engineers, like, there's, because I've, I've worked as an engineer, right? And I've been through the coding challenges, and they're not all great. Like, a lot of them are kind of stupid and are fantastic. But basically, if you're going to be an engineer, at some point, they're going to test you to see if you can code, right? And if you're going to be a designer, 
generally they're going to ask to see some sort of portfolio or they're going to have you design something with them or you're going to do a whiteboard test or something. Product management, I've the, the way that we evaluate and interview product managers is far more scattered than either of those two things. And, and even the, and I know that as a designer, it's very weird to say that the definition of product management is very scattered because of course, designer can mean any one of a thousand different things, but um, product managers at, you know, like at large companies, really like the job is entirely different than product managers at startups often. Um, and at different companies, the job will be very different. And the, I've just met product managers that are just of wildly different, let's say skill levels. Um, but I have worked with a few outstanding product managers and I have worked with some people who I just don't even know what they did. And I don't think they knew what they did either. So what makes an outstanding product manager? That is an, that is an excellent question. And it's a, I think being an, an outstanding product manager is just an incredibly hard job. I think, it's, I think it's amazingly hard. I think that to be a great product manager, you have to know both your product and your user better than anyone else in the entire world. And to do that, you're going to use quant, you're going to use qual, you're going to use divination, I don't know. Um, you, there, there are a lot of tools um, that you're going to use. I don't think that it's any specific, I don't think it's, it's you know, necessarily like a very small set of skills. I think it's a very wide set of skills that you need to have. But you need to have this really unbelievable understanding of both your product and your user and your business. That's the other thing. And you really have to understand what's going to make your business successful. And you have to be able to put all of that together and do all of the coordination to make it happen. So that's a lot of skills. Also a lot of chutzpah. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that many of the, the product managers that I've met with who maybe weren't so great had a lot of that last one, had a lot of chutzpah, and uh, not a lot of the other three. Yeah. Or, or they tended to be, you know, very, very good at one of the other three. They really understood the product, but they didn't get the user or the business. or You know, it's, it's tough. Well, I'm hopeful that your book will help move this along. It's a tall order, but it's really what businesses are going to need to succeed, and hopefully they'll have your book in their hands. I hope that very much, too. I would very much like that to be what the book does and to be in the hands of every product manager out there. Well, thanks, Laura. Great talking with you. Thanks so much. It was great to talk to you. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.